Hi, thanks for joining me. I'm Dr. Kevin Purcell, and you're listening to Sermons at High Peak. How many of you have ever seen the very first ever Peanuts cartoon? Anybody? Let me show it to you. Doesn't really look as much like Charlie Brown as more modern ones. Let me read it in case you can't read that. It says, well, here comes old Charlie Brown. The second box says, good old Charlie Brown. Yes, sir. The third one, good old Charlie Brown. And then the last one, how I hate him. (laughs) I wonder if you've ever felt like people just uh, didn't hate you for no good reason. You're just walking by and they just don't like you. Uh, You feel attacked. You feel under attack because they've just decided you are a bad person and they don't like you. Or maybe, you know, they've got a reason they seem to think that because there's something that you have said or something you believe, maybe it's a spiritual belief or just a a sports team that you follow or political party that you're a part of or whatever it is. Or even worse, maybe it's your spiritual beliefs and you just have felt under attack because of them. Now we can all become targets for lots of different reasons. Now let me get one of those out of the way. Sometimes we're just jerks. (laughs) You ever just been a jerk and then you become a target? That's the way it goes sometimes. If you're a jerk, you kind of deserve to be a target. And a lot of people say, oh, I'm being persecuted when they're just being mean. And they kind of brought it on themselves. But putting that aside, a principled follower of God's word in our day might often become a target for those who don't like what the Bible teaches. And I think Daniel probably understood that. There was a a whole group of people who opposed him. Like today, there's a cabal of anti-Christian folks, anti-God people in this world today that just don't like what we stand for. And we get put in the crosshairs because of that. Uh, And some folks will go to amazing lengths to stop you, to quiet you, to cancel you, to shut you up. I I think of one example of a Christian who, because of his beliefs, was attacked. A man named Will Hurd. He was a representative in the United States Congress from the nation or the state of Texas. And uh, he was invited to come speak at a tech conference. It's called the Black Hat Conference. It's for people who believe in like hacking for good. You know, they learn how to hack computers and networks and stuff, but they say they're doing it in order to to do good things, to produce security or to, you know, just they kind of feel, they think of themselves as vigilantes to help people with computers. Now, not all of them are like that, but that's the way they see themselves. And he was invited to come and speak. But when the attendees found out that he was a pro-life Republican, They began to revolt and say they won't attend. They won't pay their money to come to the conference. They don't want anything to do with a pro-life Republican. Now, whether he was a Republican or not, I don't think that mattered as much as the fact that he was pro-life. And it's because of his Catholic beliefs, because he was a a man who called himself a Christian and believed that life began at conception. And so that disqualified from him 
him, rather, from being a speaker at this conference, in spite of the fact that before he became a member of Congress, his job was with the CIA, where he spent time dealing with computer security. At the highest level of our uh, government, he worked in computer security. So, of course, there's absolutely no way we would ever want an ex-CIA expert in cybersecurity to speak at a conference about cybersecurity because he doesn't think we should kill infants in the womb. He became a target because of his beliefs. I wonder if you've ever experienced that. Opposition because of your biblical views. Are you living a faithful life? Chances are you either have or you will become a target for what you believe. But I, won't, I want to come to you with what I think might be some encouragement from Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6 shows us a man who became a target, multiple times actually in his life. He was a captive in Babylon. He rose to prominence in the government of the Babylonian Empire. And uh, the only man that could interpret the king's dreams was Daniel. So he was called on and so he raised in rank and got important and the king of Babylon really relied on him. Well, that king ended up uh, dying and gave his throne over to others and he still stayed in a position of prominence until the Babylonian empire was destroyed and the, the Medo-Persian empire we kind of shortcut that to be the Persians <laughs> because that was the dominant country. And a man named King Darius took the throne when he defeated the Babylonians. And we see that at the end of chapter 5, the previous passage, where the last king of Babylon was killed because of his arrogance and unwillingness to humble himself before the Lord. But then in the beginning of chapter 6, we hear this mention of King Darius. Now, history tells us something. Before we get into this, understand that the title of king is a title, but also the title of Darius was a title. That was probably not his proper name. I could be wrong about that. Experts disagree, but that's from my study. It seems like that's the case. And so this is kind of like saying King King, only he called him King Darius. That was a, a title that he went by. He was probably put in place by a man named Cyrus also known as Cyrus the Great, the king of Persia. We find in biblical history that it was Cyrus the Great that ended up letting the Hebrew people return to Jerusalem. He did so under Ezra and Nehemiah. They went back and rebuilt the temple and the walls. And so he's kind of looked at as a person who, even though he was an evil man, definitely not a believer, he was looked at as kind of a, a deliverer of the Jewish people. And so this guy, Cyrus, probably put this fellow that we're going to look at today, Darius, in control because the first Darius died after three months and Babylon was destroyed. Darius was put in charge. He probably died three months later. And then this fellow, the one we're looking at in this passage, comes to in prominence and importance. And so <clears throat> we pick it up in Daniel chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. For those of you who don't like history, wake up. You can wake up, for those of you who love it, stay awake because we're going to now get into the meat of the passage, okay? Daniel chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. If you have uh, your Bibles and you have that turned there, would you please stand in honor of reading God's Word together? We stand in honor of the God who gave us His Word and not in honor of a book, although the Bible is an honorable book. 
Verse 1, it says, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps. It's, that's not a trap trying to catch sats. I don't know what a sat is. Those are, that's the term for governor, essentially. He sent 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom. And over these, three governors, of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might account to them, so that the king would suffer no loss. You see the reason why he put these three? He somehow maybe trusted them. And he's going to put them in charge of all the other governors. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. All right, you may be seated. Once again, we see this all throughout the book of Daniel. If you haven't been going through this journey with us, just read verses, chapters 1 through 5, rather, and you'll see Daniel just repeatedly over and over again because of his character, his reliability, his trustworthiness, and because God used him in powerful ways because he made himself available to God by his character and his willingness. Because of all of that, these kings, these evil foreign kings kept promoting him. And so you imagine they've got these 120 governors and the king says, I'm going to pick you three guys. Daniel was one of those. You're going to be over those 120 governors. And then eventually he saw that this one man, Daniel, was more of a character-based a, a character person than the rest of them. And so he put him in charge, or at least he thought about putting him in charge. And right away, that gives us a little lesson that I think is going to help us understand something here. God often blesses those who are a blessing to other people. God will often bless you if you are a blessing to other people. When I say blessing, I don't mean that you just are nice and good and kind, but rather you live a godly life that in a positive way impacts the people around you and they see it and they're impressed by it. And so God blesses you many times through those people. There's no reason a Jew from Jerusalem should be the second most important person in the city of Babylon, except that God used, used all of the circumstances to put Daniel in that place. Why? We'll see that in a little bit. But when you live a godly life, you can, however, become a target. But you also can prove yourself worthy of the trust and the respect and the honor of the people around you who are not threatened by your goodness. So think about that when you go to work every single day or whatever it is that you do with your time. Maybe you're retired or you're a student and you're going to school instead. Think about how you can have a positive impact for the kingdom of God by just being obedient to the word of God. It might put a target on your back, but sometimes that target's a good thing. People recognize your goodness, their, your faithfulness to God, and he blesses you in the eyes of those people. And you can rise to importance and therefore have a position and an opportunity to bless the kingdom of God as a result. So when you go, tell the truth. Follow the rules as long as they don't disobey God. Be kind and respectful to other people around you. Do your best to honor God every single day, and God will use you, I promise you. The Bible shows it over and over again. It promises it over and over again. But we're going to see a couple of different responses from people. 
When a person goes out living a life being a blessing because they're obedient to God, there's one of two responses. We've already sort of hinted at one. But let's think about that. We already know that the king responded really well. So that's the first one. You can have a positive impact on someone, and if they're not threatened by your goodness, the result could be that they shower you with praise, that they trust you, that they befriend you. Even if they don't believe all that you believe, you can build a relationship with them. Have you ever had that experience? Somebody you know, they're not a Christian. They don't live like a Christian. They don't act like a Christian. <laughs> but they see you doing it, and they have some respect for you. And so they come to you when they're in need. Maybe there's a prayer need in their life. They don't go to their fellow friends who go running around and doing all kinds of wild, crazy things on the weekends or in the evenings. Or sit around talking about lascivious stuff, evil stuff in the break room. No, they come to you. Say, look, I know you're a godly person. Will you pray for me? And you have an opportunity to be a witness to them in that moment. When they have a need, they can see God work through you and through your prayers. And you have an opportunity. But I want you to think about it. When you look at your life and how people react to you, it makes sense that people would rely on the trustworthy person. For example, if I'm going on a trip, and uh, you know, what if I had two cars, and the first one was fairly recent model, you know, it was in good condition, tires were all good, new enough, the engine always started, it always ran well, got good gas mileage, it was comfortable, looked decent. You know, if I had a good, reliable car, and I'm going on my trip, I'm probably packing that car to take all my stuff in. But what if you have another car, you got a beat up junky old piece of garbage that hardly ever starts, you're not really sure if it'll ever make it there, and you're gonna jump in that car and take it on the trip? How many of you have ever had to do that? I can remember in college, I had a piece of junk car, my first car, it was a garbage car, and every time I took it home to Milwaukee, I was scared that I wasn't gonna make it. Strangely enough, it made it every time. It was an old 74 VW Rabbit. You know, I've told you about that car many times before. Floorboards were all rusting out. If you sat behind the driver's seat, you got wet on a rainy day, literally. I'm not, that's not even an exaggeration. Uh, but that car always got me home and always got me back to school. And then I got a newer car. It was an 84 Chevy Cavalier. And guess what? I had nothing but trouble with that car. Uh, look newer, look nicer. Some, sometimes it's not always right. But if you have an experience of someone who's reliable in your life, that's the person you're going to trust. And you have an opportunity to be a blessing to people around you. So that's one response. Make yourself valuable and you will be blessed. God will use it. But more importantly than the people around you being happy, remember what I just said. God sees it. Make yourself important in God's kingdom by doing what? Obeying him. And God will see your good works and he will credit them to you for a righteous and eternal reward. But not everybody sees it this way. Not everybody likes the idea of a biblically principled person living around them. And so we see in verse 4 and 5 a group of the leaders that were with Daniel. Remember how the king set up the thing? You know, they had 120 governors. And he took three of them and put them over all of those governors. But then he noticed one of them was excelling above the rest. He took Daniel and he raised him even one more level. So he ended up being the most important person other than the king in, in Babylon. 
Now remember, this is the Persian Empire, but they've put this guy over the Babylonian part, and that's how the Babylonian king is working. And so they started, I think, to get jealous. Those other two began to stir up jealousy. They started looking for a way to catch Daniel doing something dishonest. Now let me ask you this, why would they assume that Daniel would do something dishonest? Well, it's like I always say, if your enemies accuse you of it, then it probably means they've done it or they're about to do it. <laughs> they were probably evil themselves and so they assumed if I'm cheating, if I'm being dishonest, if I'm being a bad person, stealing, then certainly Daniel must be doing it. So let's watch and let's catch him. Let's trip him up. By the way, when you know that you're going to be living a biblical life and you're going to have enemies, be extra careful to be above reproach because your enemies are looking to tear you down. And so they started going after him. Because it says Daniel was promoted and Daniel was put in that position and he was put there for a purpose so that the king would not suffer loss. I'm betting these other guys were cheating the king and that's why he promoted Daniel. So they plotted against him. They began to investigate him. And look what happens in verse 5 there. It says, then these men said, we shall not find any charge against this Daniel. Don't you love the way they say that? This Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Now that's subtle, but understand what they're saying. They're saying he's so faithful, he doesn't break ethical rules. And so here's what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to use his religion against him. We're going to have to attack him because of his faith, because his faith is different than our king. And that's exactly what they do. The only way we can embarrass this man is if we can catch him obeying God. Now that is particularly craven, isn't it? And that's exactly what this Texas congressman, Will Hurd, that I told you about a moment ago, that's exactly what brought him down just in that one little conference. He was obedient to God in his beliefs and he got attacked for it. There are plenty of examples of that today. They'll say about us, how old-fashioned you Christians are because we believe marriage is between one man and one woman. How sexist you are because we believe that we should never be alone with a person who's not our spouse. How bigoted you are because we don't think that sexual conduct with people underage is acceptable. Yeah, you heard me. That's coming. They're starting to work that in now. And one of the reasons I think that's so is because we're seeing so many people being found out about their pedophilia that the people in charge know we better make this thing seem the norm before they come after us for it. I don't know if that's true, but I kind of predict that it is. But understand this, godly people become targets for the ungodly. See those two responses? Sometimes people will rely on you or will trust in you because of your obedience to God. But the ones who are selfish and they're uh, jealous, they will make you a target because of your godliness. Ask Brian Boucher about persecution in America. He was nominated to serve as a federal judge. And during the interviews in the Senate, they asked him all kinds of questions about legal things, but... They seemed to want to center on one thing. He was a devout Christian. 
He took it very seriously. And so Brian Busher got attacked because of his faith. They started asking him questions like, do you think you're qualified to sit on the bench when you let your faith affect so much of what you do? I remember years ago, I remember hearing one of our former presidents who called himself a Christian, he said this. He said, yeah, but I don't let my Christian faith in, uh, affect how I lead the country. When I heard that, I didn't want to vote for him. I turned my head and I held my nose and I said yes, because the other person was even worse. But I was offended by that. A Christian who says, I won't let my Christianity affect how I do my job or how I lead the country or, or how I interact with other people is not a biblically obedient Christian at all. Your faith should affect every part of your life, every relationship you have, every task you perform, every moment of every day should be influenced by your Christian faith. But if you are, a Christian, every moment of every day, or at least do your best to try, you will become a target. The Bible describes that this is going to happen in the latter days. And in fact, at the end of time, there will be martyrs for the faith. Just because you're a Christian, they're going to kill you. You know what? We're seeing that. By best estimates, persecution.org, an organization that talks about and analyzes persecution of Christians around the world, says that they believe that there was more martyrdom for the faith in the 20th century and since than there were in the previous 19 centuries combined. It's getting harder around the world. Isn't it interesting that outside of America and Western Europe, Christianity is flourishing in Asia, South America, Africa, and even the Middle East? As the persecution gets more intense, the Holy Spirit is relied on more and Christians become more obedient. You know what? Maybe the best thing for this country would be for it to be illegal to do what we're doing right now. Because maybe then Christians would wake up and start behaving. And then the fake Christians would sit aside and get out of the way. I'm convinced though this that as we see more and more persecution, the Holy Spirit will be relied upon more, just like I said. And I'm convinced the church might get smaller, but it will get stronger. Now, when Daniel had this happen to him, he convinced the king, or, or I'm sorry, when Daniel had the, his opponents do this, that they convinced the king to set up a new temporary law. And it was to last for just 30 days. Why 30 days? Because these guys only wanted enough time to catch Daniel, and they knew that they would catch him. Because here's what the law was. The law was in verse 8. Look what it says there. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law, the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. What was it? that it was illegal to pray to any God without going through the king first. Can you imagine that? Imagine if Donald Trump passed a law, said you can't pray unless you say, oh Donald, will you please tell God that I need a job? Can you imagine the arrogance of someone believing that they should be the clearinghouse for all prayers? Well, some Christians believe that. They think you have to go through a priest 
That's not what the, the Bible teaches. We can go before God personally and individually. You don't need a clergyman, a priest, a, a pastor to do that. And you definitely don't need a king. But that's the law that they set up. And there's a strange thing that goes on in Persian culture. When they sign a new law, the king signs a new law, even the king has to abide by it and he cannot rescind it. Now, he has maybe the practical power to rescind it. And remember, this Darius is second in command to the Cyrus, to the man named Cyrus the Great. So maybe the law was that if you pass a law, you have to follow it because if you don't, Cyrus will punish you. I don't know. All I know is that they had to follow the law. We saw this if you've ever studied the book of Esther. Uh, there are similar kinds of details in Esther. If a king signs a law, even the king can't rescind the law. And so in verse 10, look what it says there in verse 10. It says, now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he was custom, as was his custom since early days. In that little verse, there's an awful lot. But let me just summarize it this way. Daniel was consistent in his faithfulness because when that law got passed, he didn't let, him, let it stop him obeying God. Yes, he went home. That was his practice. He did it before the law. He continued to do it after the law. He went up to his upper room, which shows he must have had you know, some wealth, being the second in command over that region of the kingdom. Gave him that. But he opened up his window so that he could face Jerusalem. That became a common thing after Solomon dedicated the first temple. In fact, they even said, when you pray, if you're not in Jerusalem, pray towards the temple. That's what he was doing. So Daniel didn't hide his faith. He didn't even try to hide his faith. What would you have done? Would you have said, oh, it's only 30 days. You know, I can go in my inner closet. I can be quiet about this for a little while. I probably would have been tempted myself. Would you have? Would you have been tempted to just, you know, oh, you know, I can wait 30 days. Think about this. How many of us stopped going to church for 30 days over the last six months? I know some are doing it because of health reasons, and that's fine. I understand that. As long as you're trying to still participate as long as you're trying to still be actively involved in the life of the church. Those of you who are watching now, you're fulfilling that. But if there are people out there who have said, oh good, this means a vacation from church, you're not following this principle. You could have compromised, you could have gone in hiding, you could have just laid low for 30 days, but he didn't do it. That very day when he heard the law got signed, he went home and he kept on praying, knowing he was violating God's, or the man's law. Now understand this, the Bible teaches us we should follow the state, but not when the state contradicts God. We should follow the mandates of our cultural leadership, whatever that is in your country. In ours, it's you know, the local people, the sheriff and the local leaders, the, the governor, the, the United States uh, government. We should follow it. The Bible commands us to except when they violate, violate the principles of Scripture. For uh, the apostles during Acts, they were arrested, brought before their local leaders, 
And they were told, don't go and preach in Jesus' name. And they said, we can't do that. You do what you want. We can't do that. We have to keep on doing what God has called us to do. And so here's the lesson. Faithfulness requires our consistency. If you're not consistent in obedience, then you're not truly faithful to God. It requires consistency every day, keeping it going every single day. You know, when you get older, you often have to start taking medicines more often. And, uh, you know, I take medicines every day like many of you. Some of you take, I mean, it's like you're having a whole meal just with your medicines. I, I don't know how you do it. I just take a couple of things in the morning and a few in the evening. But I've seen some of you, you know, you got like gobs of medicines you have to take. But you take them, why? Because you want to remain healthy. You want to keep living. And the people who know better than you say, this will keep you healthy. Well, here's the fact. God says that we are to maintain our daily discipleship. Jesus said it, deny yourself daily and follow me. Every day we must follow. In the Christian faith, if we don't want to get weak, we have to take our daily medicine. Now, I don't even like to use that phrase because if you see getting alone with God and praying like Daniel did as medicine, then there's a problem in your relationship with Jesus. It should become something you look forward to. I'll be honest with you. I've gone through periods of time where I struggled to stay faithful. And you know, as I started viewing my devotions more digitally, I I got where it was a little harder to keep it going. I don't know why it was. When I say digitally, I mean I pulled out my phone or, or this thing, my tablet. And I would read and I would do it. And I don't know, it just felt like work. And then earlier this uh, year, I got this, my, a new Bible. And I've started carrying it everywhere I go and started doing it the old-fashioned way again. And I don't know, I just look forward to it more. I get a pencil out and I mark things and I... Do stuff. Now, I'm not saying you have to do this, that you have to carry a physical Bible in order to be faithful to God. What I am saying is you find what works for you and make yourself faithful and make it something that you enjoy, something you participate in out of choice, not out of compulsion. But if you can't do it out of choice, do it out of compulsion because you'll go in and out, up and down on that faithfulness. But be consistent. That's the most important thing. Consistency. Well, these fellows went looking for Daniel. And they found him doing exactly what they knew he would do. It's why they all set up the whole law in the first place. In verse 13 it says, So they answered and said before the king that Daniel, who is one of the captives from Judah, does not show due regard for you, O king, or for the decree that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. And verse 14, and, when the, and the king, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased with, what's it say there? Himself. And he set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Then these men approached the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and the Persians that no decree or statute which the king establishes may be changed. These guys are really milking it, aren't they? When he says he was displeased with himself, why do you think that is? 
Why do you think that King Darius got upset, upset with himself? I think it's because he realized these dudes duped me. These guys were just out to get Daniel all along, and I didn't see it. Why? Because like every other leader before him, whether it was the leader of the Persians or the leader of the Babylonians, they all recognized that Daniel was special. Why was Daniel special? Because he was obedient to God. And he had a truly wonderful spirit of God in him. These guys didn't even know it, but they were honoring God because they relied on Daniel. Because Daniel honored God. You see the circle there? We draw people into a point where they can't help but honoring God when we honor him. They either honor him by trying to attack us and tear us down because they're angry at God and they see God in us. Or maybe they don't hate God, they just don't understand God, but they think, that one, she's pretty good. She's pretty reliable. I, I, I think she would be a good friend to have around. Because you can always depend on her. You see the two possibilities? Daniel experienced both. And this king loved Daniel and he wanted him saved. And so it says he worked all day long and finally these jokers came back in. Oh, king, you got to follow the law. They probably weren't doing that when they were bilking him of all this money and stuff when he promoted Daniel above them because they were dishonest. But he set his heart on freeing Daniel. He looked for every way. Now, when I read that, my first reaction was, you're the king. <laughs> Just break the law. You're the king. But that wasn't their culture, so they couldn't do it. And he tried to find a loophole. And look at verse 16. So the king gave the command, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying, Daniel, saying to Daniel, your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Now, the Persians were known for collecting lions <laughs> just for this purpose. It's not that they just all thought, oh, lions, they're so cute. No, they saw lions. They've got big, long fangs. They can tear into skin real well. And so they did this. They were known for it. And they built these uh, lion's dens where they would dig them into the ground. And, and then they would put a separation where they could go down into the ground. And they'd open up the gate and throw them, the person in there, the victim in there. And almost immediately, they would keep these lions hungry, by the way. It's not like they were feeding them three squares a day. No, they kept them hungry. Why? So that the minute they threw somebody in, rawr, they'd go nuts eating them and tearing them limb from limb having lunch on whoever the next victim was. And the king knew that. He'd probably seen it many times. He had probably celebrated it, cheered it on. He probably had ordered it, maybe even just that week with somebody else. But something interesting is here. It says what the king said to Daniel. Look again at the end of verse 16. Your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. What's that mean? What's he saying there? I want you to understand something. There's a debate among scholars as to how to really interpret this. It looks like it's pretty obvious, except that you understand this is written in a language called Aramaic. It's a little bit difficult, a little bit harder for us to understand because no one has spoken Aramaic in hundreds, even thousands of years. And so what he's saying here is one of three things. And there's different translations. Depending on which translation you use, 
which way the interpreter thought it. To understand this, a translator takes the original language, puts it in English, but they have to kind of make a guess sometimes. That doesn't mean it's unreliable. 99.9% .9 of the time, the Bible is perfectly clear and understandable, but there's that you know, less than 1% time like this where we have to kind of go, we're not sure, and it does sort of affect the meaning of the passage, but it doesn't affect significantly what we know about God. And so that's the thing. You can rely on your English translations. They're very good. Even the worst of them are very good. But the New King James, which I've shown you, shows that it seems the king is saying, I believe your God will save you. Your God will deliver you. That sounds pretty straightforward. He's saying the next morning I know it's going to happen. But he doesn't act that way. We'll see that in a minute. Secondly, we look at this, and some say, like the CSB, that I usually will read, but I'm not during Daniel because I think the King James, the New King James translates it better. And also if you have the NIV, it seems to say he might deliver you. The king has some doubt, and I think that's a better translation. It's a possibility, but we're not, he's not sure. Now other ones say there's sort of a fatalistic way. He's almost being sarcastic. Yeah, only God can save you now. You're dead. <laughs> the only way you're getting out of this is some kind of miracle, and I ain't, I ain't gonna see that miracle. I don't think that's true. But I don't think the king is an absolute believer like Daniel and his three friends were. But he wants to see Daniel sur survive. He wants to see him protected. But I think that he's in this and he says, yeah, I'm going to have to throw you in. That's the law. But man, I wish I could have found a way to stop it. And then it says all night long, he was fasting and he couldn't bring in anyone to entertain him. That's probably what it sounds like it means. He was just upset and worried. And it says in verse 18, Now the king went to his palace. He spent the night fasting. No musicians were brought before him. That literally means no entertainment was brought before him. Also his sleep went from him. Then the king rose early, very early in the morning. If you've been up all night, are you likely to rise early? Unless you've got something real important to do. He says he rose early in the morning and he went in haste to the lion's den. See, what he's doing here is he's giving those lions as little time as possible to harm his friend. In verse 20, and when he came to the den, he cried with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke saying, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? He's probably crying at this point. He had a sleepless night. He was worried. He rushes as early as he can in the morning. In verse 21, then Daniel said to the king, Oh, king, live forever. Now, I wonder how Darius felt when he heard his voice. <sighs> yes! <laughs> He's probably excited. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O oh, king, I have done no wrong before you. See, he's kind of reminding him it was probably unjust to throw him in the den in the first place. God saved me. I was innocent before God. And by the way, you didn't have a charge against me either. Now the king, in verse 23, was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatsoever was found on him because he believed his God. Belief led him to be saved. Verse 24 shows that he threw those sneaky governors into the lion's den instead. That was their punishment. 
By the way, proof that he's not a good guy still, he didn't just throw their, them in, he threw their whole families in as well. That was common practice among the Persians. They're an evil people. They're despicable. They're horrible. Don't think that Darius is a good guy. He's not. He had them killed with the families. But understand this, that he did have a recognition of something, that our God is the one true God. Our God can save. Even when a king won't or can't, our God can save you when you believe and trust in him. Look at verse 25. Then the king Darius uh, wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed and his dominion shall endure to the end. His de he delivers and rescues and he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. Who was delivered, who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions? Now, by the way, you just read this story and read Daniel chapter three. It's amazing how similar they are. Daniel's put in danger, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. At the end, there's a decree. At the end, there's a decree. But understand this, when we are faithful to God, we bring honor to God. And everyone knows it. The king knew it, he found it out, and he declared it. Those poor fellows and their families, they found out too. And they wished they had done differently. But I want you to understand something. God can and will deliver you if you believe in him. I'm specifically talking right now about your salvation. Because every one of us is destined to spend an eternity in a very terrible place. Not among lions, but among the lake of fire. If we don't put our trust in God, that's our eternity. That's your destiny. But our God can save you if you'll just believe and trust him and turn to him. Follow him, obey him. Put your belief and trust in action for him. And understand this, when you and I are faithful to our call, then we can be content knowing that God will take care of us. It's not a promise of ease. I'm not saying that your life's going to get easy. I'm saying you will be content. It's not to say that you'll never face any opposition. No. In fact, this passage and many others in the New Testament promise us if we're faithful, we'll face opposition. But we have a God who can bring us through it. I'm not saying there'll never be danger. In fact, there's almost certain to be some danger. I am saying that that danger can be managed because God brings you through it. When we face danger, when we put our trust in God, we will enjoy God's protection. And that faithfulness brings honor to God, to everyone around us. Daniel was saved because he believed God. You know, there was another man who was placed in a very dark place by the order of a governing authority. It was after he was hung on a cross and he died. He died for your sins and he died for my sins. He died willingly knowing why he was dying. 
Not because the Romans are so powerful. God could have stopped that in an instant. He died knowing that he had to suffer punishment because sin has to be punished. And that is an order that even God will not break because sin has to be eradicated. There has to be a punishment. God set this up from the beginning of time. And he promises you and me that he will make it happen if we just trust and believe in that man who was hung on a tree and then placed in a dark place. And that man came out of that dark place too. Jesus came out of the tomb. Up from the grave he arose, the, sing, the song says, with a mighty triumph o'er his foes. And I want you to know you can have that same victory if you put your trust in God, if you believe that he will deliver you. Do you believe it? Is that your testimony today? By the way, he often delivers us of other things. What's your concern? What's your care? What's your worry today? Leave it to the Lord. Ask him. Maybe he'll bring you through that too. But if he doesn't, he's doing it because he knows what's best for you. And he wants to bring glory to his kingdom so that someone else can come into faith. Are you willing to put your trust in him? To be used by him the way Daniel was? And to know that God will deliver you from your sin. He might even deliver you from your pain in this life. But he'll definitely deliver you to a mighty glory in heaven one day. Thank you so much for listening to our sermons from High Peak. I'm Dr. Kevin Purcell, the pastor of High Peak Baptist Church. And if God has really spoken to you through this message, please get in touch with me. You can go over to highpeakchurch.com and look for a way to contact us. Or if you want, you can come directly to me at pastor at highpeakchurch.com. We're also on Facebook, searching for High Peak Church. We'd love to see you. We have our services every Sunday morning at 11 a.m., Sunday evening at 6 p.m. in our fellowship hall, and then also midweek service on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. Please come and join us. We've got classes for all ages. God bless you, and thanks for listening.